Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs. I'm your host, James Purvis. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Eric Klintmalm, co-director of SPIA, the Student Professionalism and Ethics Association. As a former SPIA chapter president and national speaker of the House, I am greatly looking forward to this interview. So I'd like to welcome everybody to a, a special podcast. Typically, of these podcasts, we're interviewing authors of the, the ethical moments within JATA and expounding upon them, talking about the ethical principles within them. But tonight, we're absolutely thrilled to have a very special guest with us. Uh, this is Dr. Eric Clintmom, and he serves an organization near and, and dear to my heart. He is the co-director for SPIA, the Student Professionalism and Ethics Association. And this is an organization that when I was in dental school, goodness, 10 years ago, was becoming a national entity with numerous chapters that ultimately coalesced and find unity on the national level. They're doing some amazing things, and I'm thrilled to find out more about what's going on with that. Super involved, SPIA is very tied in with the American College of Dentists. That would be the organization that really, really, really sponsors and supports and endorses and does all the things for SPIA, the American College of Dentists, a renowned organization within dentistry that's doing a lot specifically in the realm of dental ethics. And Dr. Clintmall is the board liaison to the Student Professionalism and Ethics Association in Dentistry for the ACD. But he was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, went to Baylor, got a bachelor's in biology, biochemistry, and philosophy, which I find intriguing, then went up to New York City and picked up a master's degree in bioethics from New York University. From there, discovered a love for dentistry, wanted to be a dentist, went to Arizona School of Dentistry and now practices in Austin, Texas, also has a master's in public health. So a man that is super plugged in to the field of dentistry, incredibly involved with dental ethics, and uh, we are honored to have him on the podcast tonight. So uh, welcome, Eric. Uh, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure. Well, we're honored to have you here too. Talk to me. I I'm really curious about this master's degree in bioethics. Where did this come from? What <laughs> spurred this desire to pursue a master's in bioethics? When I was an undergrad at Baylor in Waco, Texas, so I was <laughs> studying Philosophy was my first degree and then realized that I wanted to go into the medical field in some way, shape, or form. Long story short, one of my advisors said, have you ever considered finding something that combines philosophy and science and started looking around? And I've always been interested in ethics and fell upon bioethics as a focus of study and made my way to NYU. And it's been the most important period of my life without question. It's incredible. And I certainly imagine that your time there shaped who you are as a person, perhaps even fine-tuned or shaped your worldview. And I'm, I'm sure much of this you encounter and deal with day-to-day -day in dental practice. Oh, absolutely. I think that 
during my time in the bioethics program, that's where I really learned how to critically think and was the most intellectually challenged that I've ever been during my formal education. And it's something that permeates every aspect of life and also every aspect of medicine and dentistry. So I think that it was very illuminating to me when I went into practice, how much it did impact the way that I practice and how much it prepared me for all of those situations, uh, both small and large. Certainly. Now, I think a lot of people, when they get into dental school, they are beginning this rigorous academic journey. They're going through all the motions, going through all the courses, learning probably more information than they've ever encountered ever in their life. And then they begin seeing patients. They begin doing the things that we think of doing as dentists. And ultimately, you begin to ask yourself these bigger questions. You begin to wonder, why are we doing this? What are our responsibilities? What does it mean to be a healthcare provider? What does it mean to be there for these patients? And so naturally, as a student, having an organization like SPIA, uh, where these issues are at the forefront is is just the enormous. Now, I remember back when I was, so I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and this was probably 2010. There, there were several chapters of what we used to call SPEC, the Student Professionalism mm-hmm. and Ethics Club. And we had one at Chapel Hill, and there were these, these sort of buzzings and rumors on the streets that there was this push, this desire to sort of coalesce these chapters and and found something and and start something on the national level. And and through meetings uh, in Las Vegas and uh, several meetings in Southern California, over the course of a few years, we created this organization called SPIA, where uh, people from all over could connect, have common ground, and have an organization that sort of stood for all this. Now, what brought you into the world of SPIA? How did you get involved with that? When I was applying to dental school, I met Dr. Linda Neeson, and she was the one actually who convinced me to go to dental school. And she was also the one who convinced me to go to ASDO in Phoenix and and introduced me to Dr. Dillenberg. But she was very jazzed about my ethics education and my background. And I recall her telling me, we need people like you in our profession. And she told me to look for an organization called SPIA, and she mentioned Dr. Mike Maru's name. And I went to an ASDA conference as a D1 and found Mike and talked about it and with my ethics background and how I think that the ethics education, it needed help in general. And I think that as a profession, and I also think medicine needs it as well, more ethics education. And so I dove right into it as a D1 and have just stayed with it ever since. And so upon graduating, Dr. Maru needed someone to be a co-director and I became that co-director and then Mike somewhat retired from the position and then Dr. Andrea Fenton became co-director with me and now we have a third co-director, Dr. Rebecca Long, just because it is a student organization. We have no funding outside of the ACD, which we are incredibly grateful for, but we don't take any sponsorships or anything like that. So Our organization is completely run by the students and the only staff we have are the directors and all the time we put into it is just our free time and and what we can do with it. And it's just, I've seen through the years what SPIA can do for students. I've seen what SPIA can do 
on an intimate level. Uh, and I've seen what speed can do for myself or what it has done for myself uh, in terms of preparing me to be a better clinician and a better professional. So having gone through those experiences and going the whole gambit from student to practicing doctor, it's incredible to see what SPIA can do. And, and this is not to take away from any dental school whatsoever. It's just, it's a very nice complement to the dental education system that we have at all the various schools. And even at our annual sessions that we have once a year, which we do with the ADA and with the ACD, the feedback from the students from the annual session is just glorious and wonderful to see. They become very excited and what we give them are tangible takeaways to apply immediately and uh, in dental school and that they can apply once they go from dental student to doctor. It's true. Yeah, it is. And it's it's so interesting. I, I have the, the privilege. So we have the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where I went to school. And occasionally they'll ask me to come speak to their local SPIA chapter. And it's intriguing because these students are hungry for, for ethics. They want this at the forefront of their conversations. And in these talks I give, nobody wants to hear about the crown preparation I did that went beautifully well. They want to hear about the patient who perhaps struggled with informed consent, or maybe a patient with a cognitive impairment who I have trouble communicating with, or maybe the case that didn't go quite right. And I had to humble myself in front of a patient and tell them that I wish things had gone differently and find these solutions. And I think in dental school, you were given so many bits of information on the didactic level as to how things should be done and how things ideally are clinically. And there's such a component, uh, such an, uh, an ethical piece to this puzzle that I think SPIA fills that niche beautifully. And I think students as a whole are, are quite interested in that. Now, if a listener, perhaps a young dentist or even a dental student is listening to the podcast and they don't have an established SPIA chapter at their school, who do they reach out to? Where do they go? How do they get this off the ground? Great question. So they would go to spiadental.org. So S-P-E-A dental.org. And they can go through the contact form. So we have regions, which are students, and they will be the contact point. So kind of depending on where that person's reaching out from or where they are, we would then put them in contact with either our executive chair, which is a student or a vice chair or one of the regions. And then we have kind of like a startup kit and we handhold through the process of, of starting a chapter. And I think what's very unique about SPIA is that it is a grassroots organization. So we don't have dues of any sort because we don't want it to be prohibitive for any student to be a part of it. We don't compete with any other organizations. It's not about that. We are here just to prepare students to be better clinicians and professionals for the future. Our whole goal is to better the profession. And so that's why we find it so important. And that's why we don't want it to be restrictive. So by saying that, I also mean that students that start their chapters and existing chapters, they can mold the chapter to their school as needed. So if a student is at a school that doesn't have a chapter and they want to start one, every school has certain rules and regulations and things like that or certain needs. And so they can structure the organization how they see fit and how it works for them. So we know at on the national SPIA level that there are chapters out there at 
various schools that we have very little contact with, with the national level, but they are working completely autonomously. And that's fantastic. And that's kind of the goal. We want this to be a ubiquitous thing that each chapter is somewhat standalone and, and helps students find their way to be better doctors. Well, I so much admire the way that SPIA remains a resource. It, it remains there to help, but also does advocate for the independency and, and the, the, just the, 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 the nuances that make these local chapters what, what they are. And I think there's so much room for collaboration. I'm incredibly excited about the uh, 2023 Dental Student Ethics video contest that's co-sponsored between Asibja and SPIA, I think that's just a, an absolutely natural way these organizations can be there for each other and, and do something collaborative. I so much admire the relationship that SPIA has with the American College, and I, I love the support that the ACD has provided for SPIA. I personally, when I was in dental school and traveling for these SPIA events, it was my local ACD chapter that helped fund a lot of the travel and yeah. a lot of the mentors I found within school were among the ACD. So tons of respect for that organization, a plenty of room for collaboration between SPIA, between SIBJA, between the ADA. I think it's just a natural thing that goes quite well. I remember Dr. Mike Maru well. He's, he was incredibly inspirational and uh, very active in, in the time that I was sort of involved in this transition from, from spec um, over to to SPIA and just everybody I met within the organization was wonderful. Do, do you have any particular SPIA memories or anything that just stands out to you? Anything that you really enjoyed along your SPIA journey or any specific stories that you found interesting? Absolutely. The thing that I love about SPIA the most is the type of student that is usually finds their way to SPIA are somewhat different than the average. They're thoughtful and inquisitive uh, to a very unique degree. And what I enjoy is, so at our annual sessions, every speaker speaks for us for free, which is very humbling because so far we've been very fortunate that the speakers that we ask, they understand why we're doing this and that we don't have any corporate sponsorships or anything like that. There's no other agenda. Our agenda is very simple and it's just to help educate and prepare students. That's it. And the collegiality that you receive when you go to these meetings is very different. I'm a huge fan of a lot of other student organizations. I was in a lot of student organizations in dental school. But the camaraderie that you gain with these people, I am still friends with people that I was in SPIA with as a D1. And I am five years out of school. I think that is pretty phenomenal. And we have alumni that are messaging us and asking how they can take part and help out and just listening to students ask questions. Like we had Dr. Marco Vu check speak at the most recent meeting in Houston. And what made me so happy was the level of complexity and intelligence that the students showed when asking him questions about where the profession is going to the point where he was smiling and enjoying speaking at the conference that warms my heart and it motivates me because the cliche is these dental students are the future. And just seeing that happen in real time is really, really great. And these students are coming not to do other things. They're literally coming just for that annual session 
to take part in these little lectures or workshops or group experiences. And another great memory is we do a board meeting with just the board members and the experience of gaining friendship and, and learning leadership through that for all these national SPIA members is really unique and something that I gained for four years as a dental student that I've carried over and I use on a daily basis. And that comes from meeting people in the college, for example, in the ACD, having experience with the directors within SPIA and experiencing each other because the people that we're going to go to for help and guidance, it's going to be our peers. It's not going to be mentors. It's not going to be other associations. It's going to be our friends, the people that we've kind of gone through the trenches with. And I think that I myself have gained so many friends throughout SPIA and I've learned so much from them. And it's not just a little fleeting friendship. I have created lifelong friendships through my experience in SPIA. Well, before we wrap up, you've got your ear to the ground. I can't help but ask this. In your opinion, what is the biggest issue right now in dental ethics at the professional level, even at the student level? What is the issue affecting dentistry, our patients across the nation right now? Ooh. <laughs> so to single out one thing is a challenge, but I do think it is the payer landscape. So that's going to incorporate everything from being a production-based profession to insurance determining care and limitations on care, insurance dictating to patients what they can do, so their benefits and things like that, and the pressures of being a dentist, so plateauing income for many years, reimbursements going down, financial pressures, tuition skyrocketing. The one thing that we hear from students all the time is just how unbelievably expensive dental school is. And those pressures from an ethical standpoint do permeate their way in regardless of how strong one's moral compass is. And that's one of the many issues that we try to tackle when we go through a lot of these scenarios or the SPIA meetings. We have to prepare people to make those right decisions. But I think ultimately, it is an amalgamation of the payer base and insurances, the financial pressures, which weaves in with insurance and, and payer base and also the fact that the structure of dentistry is not necessarily value-based care currently. Well, these are the conversations happening on all fronts. And I think looking at it from the side of dental ethics, looking at it from that perspective, through that lens, it is wise. And Dr. Clintmom, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your, I know you've got a busy schedule, but I'm honored to have you on this podcast. Uh, Sebja is incredibly involved in talking about all these very same issues and it, it just warms my heart to speak with somebody who knows and loves the organization that really got me involved in, in dental ethics over a decade ago and so saying thank you is an understatement i really am so appreciative of your time tonight and i really cannot wait for our listeners to hear this and, and also when they're dealing with their local dental schools within their state or potentially region, uh, reaching out to students, being available to them to answer questions about SPIA. And I think the information you gave tonight should allow many people, if they have questions about SPIA or how to get a local chapter started, to 
get involved. But thank you again, Dr. Clintmom. I really, really appreciate you being on this call. Thank you. It was a pleasure, and I really appreciate what you and the ADA do. It means a lot. Well, we appreciate what you're doing with SPIA. It means a lot, too. Thank you, Dr. Clintmom. Thank you. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice and stay tuned as Seabja decodes dental dilemmas.